Good morning. Keep your text marked there at Exodus 14. Lord willing, we'll come back to that a little while later, see how that fits into the lesson. But now, go to the 22nd chapter of Genesis. I'm stepping away from the microphone to clear my throat, and I've got the microphone on my tie. There we go. Yes. Bowl 448 for the uh, invitation song, if you want to mark that one. 448. Genesis 22, let's start reading at verse 1. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Now we're going to read the rest of it. But what do you notice already? There's no argument, there's no fuss, there's no questions. God says, this is what I want you to do. Abraham says, all right, I'll get to it. (laughs) He just just does it. It says in verse 4, on the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and he saw the place from a distance. So they've been traveling for three days and he hasn't turned back. He hasn't changed his mind. No other thought has occurred to him but to follow through with what God has said. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and he said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, and there it is. There it is. God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. And then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And then Abraham raised his eyes and looked and behold behind him, a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. That's quite an account, isn't it? This isn't the first time God called Abraham. He called him in chapter 12. He said, Abraham, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get your family together and I want you to get up out of this place that you know. And I'm going to take you into a country you've never seen before. And what did Abraham do? Same thing here. No fuss, no muss, no questions. He got up and he went. And God took him into the land of Canaan. 
And now here we are. He's got a son. But he didn't always have that boy, did he? God said, I'm going to make of your offspring like the stars of the heavens or like the sand of the seashore. And he told him that when he didn't have a boy. And then he promised him a boy. When did he promise him a boy? Well, he promised him a boy when he was 75 years old. And it's almost like Abraham would say, well, Lord, you know, you better get moving. I'm 75. We need to get work on this. And my, uh, my dear wife, Sarah, she's 65. How long did God wait? He waited 25 years. And now he's taken that boy up on Mount Moriah because God said, take that boy up on this mountain that I'm going to show you and offer him as a burnt offering. And Abraham doesn't ask any questions. He goes. Now, the Hebrew writer gives us a little insight into what was the... The framework of Abraham's thinking, if you, if you go to Hebrews chapter 11, this is what the, the writer there says about Abraham. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, in Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. Why did Abraham immediately make preparations and go straight to the place where God showed him to go? He went there because he had faith. What was his faith? He didn't know what was going to happen, did he? He just knew that what God had told him he was going to do. And he almost did it until God stopped him. But all through that process, what is Abraham thinking? He's thinking God is able to bring people back from the dead. He's imagining ways in which God may be able to keep the promise that he's already made to him that through his son Isaac, his descendants would be named. This is the way faith works. We're looking at Abraham as as a wonderful model for faith. And what did Abraham tell Isaac when Isaac asked about the ram? Dad, we're on the way to... Go make an offering and we got the wood, we got the fire, we got the knife, we got everything except the ram. And what did Abraham say? He said, the Lord will provide. And I'm thinking that at that point, Abraham didn't know that there was going to be a ram in the bushes. That's not what he was thinking, I don't think. He was just thinking, my son will be the lamb and God will raise him from the dead. That's what the Hebrew writer is telling us. In other words, when God tells Abraham something, Abraham finds a way to see how God can make that happen. He doesn't start looking for ways that it's going to fail. I don't know if it's just going to work out or not. He doesn't look for negatives. He puts his faith in God. And he just figures God will provide. And that's what he named that place. He named it, and we would say in English, Jehovah or Yahweh you, you take your pick. Neither one of those we actually know to be the name of God. but We, we refer to him as Jehovah. Take a, do a little research on the Tetragrammaton sometime and see where that came from and what it's all about. But we, we speak of God in terms of Yahweh or Jehovah. But he named that place after God's name and then provider. God is the provider. God will provide. And you might be wondering, why in the world are we looking at this story that's 4,000 years old? 
And the reason I wanted us to look at it is because it hasn't changed. Nothing has changed. God still provides. Every day, all day long, he provides. I I wrote a little article. I hate to say little because that makes it sound unimportant. It's really profound. It was profound to me when I thought about it because I, I do this from time to time. I'll think of some wonderful blessing that I have that I enjoy. And I, you know, I haven't even thanked God for that either forever or, or in a long time. And so I feel like I'm, I'm somebody who takes things for granted. But I'm not so sure it's possible that we could not take some things for granted simply because God's blessings are flowing down on us all the time. How can we not miss some of them? How can we not overlook some of those blessings? How can we not forget or, or, well, what song did we just sing? Count your many blessings. You ever literally tried to do that? You just get a piece of paper, get a pen, make a list. If you like a pencil, get a pencil, get a crayon, some of your younger ones. Start listing your blessings. You know what's going to happen? You're going to run out of paper, you're going to run out of crayon, and you're not even going to be listing the ones are all blessings because you can't even think of the ones that are all blessings. And so it's no wonder we feel from time to time like we take some things for granted because we're just overwhelmed with the goodness of God and how he provides for us. What we need to remember is that God provides in the times when circumstances try to make us think that he might not. That's what we need to remember. God sent Isaiah to Israel back in the, in the 700s B.C. That's like 2,700 plus years ago. God sent Isaiah to Israel. And if you read the first part of his prophecy, you'll see that he sent him to talk about things that would happen to Judah and Jerusalem. But while he's talking about things that happened to Judah and Jerusalem, he does a lot of prophetic speaking about Israel. And I hope you're familiar. I'll just suffice it to say that there were really two nations of Israel. There were the southern tribes called Judah. That's what they came to be called at this point. And then there were the ten northern tribes that were called Israel. But those tribes left and went off wholly into idolatry. There's a long story, history there based on Solomon's son Rehoboam, but that's that's for another time. I just want you to know there's two nations. And so God is sending Isaiah to Israel, but what Isaiah, or Isaiah to uh, Judah, but what he's talking about is what's going to happen with Israel. Because we're down here in the south and we're going to see this happen. And what he's talking about the whole time is how Assyria, the great mighty nation of Assyria, to the east and the north is going to sweep over. And he uses the, the imagery of a river overflowing its banks. And it's going to overflow. It's going to flood down into Israel. It's going to be up to your neck. You're going to be up to your neck in Assyrians. And they're going to wipe out Israel and take them off into captivity. That was essentially a, a big part of the message of Isaiah the prophet. But let's, let's do a little reading here and see specifically... What is said, some of the specifics anyway. This is Isaiah chapter 8. Remember, we're talking about this idea of the Lord providing. Then the Lord said to me, take for yourself a large tablet and write on it 
in ordinary letters. Swift is the booty, speedy is the prey. And I will make to my or take to myself faithful witnesses for testimony, Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of uh, Jeconiah. I got to get some new glasses. Maybe better light. That guy there in the last part of verse 2. So I approached the prophetess. That means he was married and he he went into his wife. And she conceived and gave birth to a son. And then the Lord said to me, name him Maher Shalal Hashbaz. How'd you like to start school with that name? (laughs) Teacher going down the list. Johnny, Susie, Mahatma. May her shout out Hashbaz? Longest name in the Bible, by the way. But may her shout out Hashbaz is the very thing that God had told me to write down. What did he tell him to write down? Swift is the booty, speedy is the prey. This young boy, this son of Isaiah and his wife, is a sign to Israel. It says, for the boy, verse 4, for before the boy knows how to cry out my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. Again, the Lord spoke to me further saying, inasmuch as these people have rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloh and rejoice in reason and the son of Remaliah, now therefore behold, the Lord is about to bring on them the strong and abundant waters of the Euphrates. Even the king of Assyria and all his glory. And it will rise up over all its channels and go over all its banks. And then it will sweep into Judah and it will overflow and pass through. And it will reach even the neck. And the spread of its wings will fill the breath of your land, O Emmanuel. What are floods known to do? Floods destroy things. That's what floods do. If you've ever been in a flood, if you've ever lost a house to a flood or property to a flood or even a loved one to a flood, you know what I'm talking about. The water sweeps in and water has great power. And God is saying, I'm talking to you about the king of Assyria. He's coming in with great power like an overflowing river. He's going to flood your land and he's going to wipe it out. And the nation of Israel was taken into captivity never to return. Judah remained. Judah remained. But here's what the message finished up with. Chapter 8, verse 16. It says, Bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples, and I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will even look eagerly for him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. Isaiah says, this boy, may her shalal hashbaz, swift as the booty, hasten the spoil. He's a sign to Israel that God is going to fulfill what he has said. And what does Isaiah say he will do? He says he will wait. He will wait. What is he waiting for? He's waiting for God to fulfill what he has said he would do. What has God told you about your life and what he will do with your life? He tells us in his word that he's going to take care of us. This is one of the major messages of the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 6. Remember, he's talking about not worrying about what you eat or what you dress. 
what clothes you're going to have. Don't worry about those things. Who does worry about those things according to Jesus? This is Matthew chapter 6. He says the Gentiles, the people who don't know anything about God, they worry about that stuff. But I'm telling you, don't worry about it. Now, he didn't use this phrase that Abraham used, the Lord will provide. But he said the same thing. He said, God's going to make sure you've got everything you need. Later on in chapter 10 of Matthew, Jesus sent out the the 12 apostles on what we now call the limited commission. Because he didn't send them out to the whole world. He just sent them to the household of Israel. And they were worried about what was going to happen. He said, hey, God knows when one sparrow falls to the ground and you are of much more value than any sparrow. You know what the message is? The Lord will provide. Don't worry. This isn't a lesson on anxiety, but yet it's a lesson on anxiety. it's, It's a lesson on The providence, what's that word providence mean anyway? What's in providence but providing? And we talk about God's providence. Something happens in our life, something wonderful. Something comes through and we get out of a bad situation and we say, oh, that was a providence of God. Now there's nothing, God doesn't send us a letter down and says that was providence, but you figure it out after a while. So many good things happen like that that you say, God's God's taking care of us. You can't prove it. I don't know if I've ever told you this story or not, but when I was preaching in, for the Carbondale Church of Christ in Tulsa, my family and I were going off on a trip, and we didn't have a whole lot back then. And one of the elders shook my hand, and when he did, he put a $100 bill in it. And, you know, your pride takes over. What do you, what do, you do when somebody offers you $100? Like an idiot, you try to give it back. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, and he impressed it on me. No, you need to have the humility to take this $100. Okay, so I took it. We went on the trip. See my mom in West Virginia. This is back when she was still alive. We got children and we got a little car. We got all our stuff in the car. And, and the time was limited. So we, we worshiped with the church on Sunday. And then we headed back. Well, we get to Huntington about an hour and a half, two hours away from, from uh, mom's house. And the car starts. Does your car ever do that? Does your car ever go? And it's Sunday afternoon. Who's going to work on my car on Sunday afternoon? Well, it just so happened, just so happened when this car started doing that I saw a gas station. So I pulled in. There was one guy there, and he was closing up. And I pulled in, and he, he saw me, and he came out, and I told him my situation. And he said, well, I think I might be able to fix that for you. Uh, but I'll have to call a friend of mine, see if he's got the part. And he called his friend. The friend had the part. Got the part, fixed the car, make a long story short. You know I'm not going to do that. I never do that. I'm lying to you. But he fixed the car, and we were on our way. Guess what it cost? <laughs> yeah. It was just a shade under $100. I had change left over. Now, you can tell me that that wasn't God, but... You won't convince me. Why? Whether it was God or not, what does God always do? He always provides. He always provides. So here's the question we go off asking ourselves all the time. Oh, but what's going to happen if this? What's going to happen if that? You're sending kids off to school. Some of them are going to college. Oh, what's going to happen with my baby? They're going to die. 
They're going to die. They're going to go to school. Going to get their head cut off. Going to be laying in a ditch somewhere in the middle of the night in the rain with rattlesnakes. That's what we think, isn't it? We always think, we, we imagine these scenarios because that's what we do as parents. If you're a responsible parent, you have to take a class in this. So you can know how to imagine the very worst possible thing that could happen to your child or to you or to your house. We're always looking for scenarios. What happens if this, oh, you know, you need to get this kind of insurance and that kind of insurance. You could spend every dime you make on insurance. And what's insurance for? It's in case something bad happens. Now, I'm not telling you don't buy insurance. I'm not saying insurance is wrong. I'm just saying this is our mindset in this world. We tend to look for all the bad things that can happen. And what God is trying to tell us all the time is... Don't worry about it. I am your heavenly father. Do you have any idea how much resource I have as your heavenly father to care for you? You see, as an earthly father, I'm really limited. We send our kids off to school. Well, they're gone. I'm not there to do anything for them. Even when I was with them to do something for them, I couldn't always make sure that everything was right. When I was with them... But God is not me. You are not God. He's the only one who is. And guess what he does all the time? He provides. All the time. But who's he provide for? What Isaiah was talking about here is waiting on God. I'm gonna, I've got this message. It's a horrible message of what's going to happen to the nation north of us. But he says, I'm going to wait for the Lord. And he he uses that idea other times in in his writing. Well, one, the most famous one, I guess, you're probably aware of. It's in chapter 40. See if this doesn't sound familiar to you. you. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who do what? Those who wait upon the Lord, what are they going to do? Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They'll gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not get tired. They will walk, and they won't become weary. Why? Because the Lord provides. Now we see it in different words, but it's the same message. So wait on the Lord. Wait. Wait on the Lord because he's going to provide. Now if he gives you something to do while you're waiting, do that. But while you're doing what he's given you to do, wait on him. When Jesus left, what did he say? When he ascended to the Father, he said, I'm coming back. However, you take this gospel to the world. You tell them about me, about my my death, dying to buy their salvation with my own blood. You tell them about the empty tomb, how I rose from the dead the third day, just like I said I would. You tell them about those things. And when they believe it, you baptize them in my name. And you continue to teach them everything I've taught you. That's what he said to do. And in the meantime, what are we doing? We're waiting for the Lord. 
Now that's the big picture, but what about the smaller picture? Smaller picture is exactly the same. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord all the time. We've been studying the Gospel of John. In chapter 9 of John, there's a man who's been born blind. And what did the apostles ask? Lord, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? And Jesus said, it wasn't him sinning or it wasn't his parents sinning, but that the works of God might be made manifest in him. And what did Jesus do? He spat on the ground, made a little mud, put it on the guy's eyes, and said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And that's what the man did. You know what happened? He got his sight back. What was that man waiting for? Whether he knew it or not. I don't think he knew it, but he was waiting on the Lord. And the Lord gave him deliverance. And we see that and we think, oh, how long was that guy blind? Long time. How long was Abraham without a son? After he got the promise, 25 years. But Abraham waited on the Lord and the Lord came through. He always does. God is always providing the way he says he will provide. A little farther on in in John's gospel, we read about other things and other situations where people have needs. His good friend Lazarus died. And what did Martha say when Jesus showed, man, if you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. If she only knew He was going to go down to the tomb and say, Lazarus, come forth. And he came forth. God is always providing the ways we we least expect it. And that's how I want to conclude this lesson this morning. I want us to go back to Exodus chapter 14. And when you look at these things historically, I don't know about you, I try to put myself there. What if I was there? What if I had lived my life in slavery? That's all I knew. Just working for Pharaoh, making bricks in the hot sun, building all these monuments to his greatness, and I'm just a slave. I don't have anything. I am a nobody. But all of a sudden, this 80-year-old shepherd comes down, and bim, bam, boom, there's all these plagues, and, and we're leaving town. We're leaving town. But as we're leaving town... Pharaoh changes his mind and he starts coming after us with his army. And can you see anything good coming of that? I mean, if that's who you were and that's where you were and that's your situation, it's it's over now. We're dead. We are chicken feed. Pharaoh's going to wipe us out. But this is what we read. This is what Jake read for us a little while ago. Exodus chapter 14, verse 13. Moses said to the people, do not fear. Do not fear. Do not fear. How many times in the Bible do we read, don't be afraid? A bunch. Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again. How long? Forever. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord. Now, in the military, we used to use that word a lot. Stand by, stand by. What does stand by mean, all you military guys? Wait, wait. But it's, it's an instruction to wait with something else. It's an instruction to wait almost with the promise, I'm going to come back and tell you about this in just a little bit. And that's what always happened. 
be on the radio. Hey, we're going to start a sermon. Well, stand by. Oh, okay. I will wait. And I will wait until I am told what I need to hear, what I need to find out. That's the way that worked. And so Moses says, stand by. Stand by for what? Stand by to see the salvation of the Lord. Now I'm asking you, you think about it. If you were there, you're one of those slaves. Here's Pharaoh's army coming. Would you have ever imagined that the Red Sea was just going to wide open part itself? And you're going to go through. No, you would never have thought that. And that's where we are today. we got all these situations facing us. All this impending danger and doom and trouble and heartache. we got disease and sickness. It's just right at our doorstep. And God is saying, don't be afraid. I will provide. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. And so we have to either put our faith in what we see going on around us. Or the one who says not to be concerned about it. You and I have to make a choice. Are we willing to wait on the Lord? Are we willing to trust that he will provide? That's the question faith is always asking. And so bringing this lesson to a conclusion. You know what Jesus said? He's coming back. Do you believe that? Are you ready for him to come back? If you're ready... Excellent. If you're not ready, I want to talk to you. Because the Lord provides means the Lord fulfills. And when he says he's coming back, he's going to fulfill what he said. He's going to provide a return for us. We're going to see him. Every eye is going to see him. And for those who are ready, it's going to be great. But if you're not ready, it'll be the worst thing ever happened to you. That's why I want to talk to you if you're not ready. I want to talk to you about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he can do for you and will do for you and wants to do for you. And he died so that he could do it for you. So we're going to stand and sing the song of encouragement and invitation. And before you leave this building today, you let me know. If you want to talk to me about Jesus and what he can do for you. You need prayers, let us know. We're standing to give you the opportunity to respond.